That was fun. Thank you, guys. So I get the uh, distinct privilege today, pleasure, joy, to introduce a new series for the year that we're going to be pursuing. If you don't know me, uh, my name is Roger Butts, and, I, and I'm here once a month when Ariana's away. And um, Ariana and I and all of us together, we're going to explore mystics, masters, and metaphysicians uh, this year. And we're going to take on the, uh, the series and lift up people who have interesting things to say about mysticism and the spiritual life and the path that we're all on. And I was telling Connie earlier, the one thing I want you to hear, today I'm going to be speaking about Charles Fillmore and his beloved Myrtle, who started this whole unity business, this whole movement, uh, with just the force of their ideas. And I want you to hear this idea that, that when it came to God and ideas about God and conceptions of God and views of God and definitions of God and so on, they were soft. When it came to ideas about humanity, they were firm and resolute. That is to say that they always had this provision when it came to their ideas about God that the idea could change tomorrow, and that's okay. They were not impressed with that sort of sinners in the hands of an angry God business. They didn't go for that. They didn't think that God was some angry person just waiting to punish you if you missed the note on your banjo, right? Which I don't think you did. I'm not saying that. But they weren't like waiting for God to come and strike. God was this presence and this energy and this empowerment and this affirmative force in life that, um, that uh, surrounded all, that all was within God and that God was this loving presence. But they had this idea um, that it was soft. They, they could change tomorrow their idea about that. But when it was about humanity, they were firm and resolute. And this is what I want you to hear this morning. No matter who they encountered, whether they were disabled, whether they were sick, whether they were discouraged, whether they were um, lost, confused, whatever it was, all they saw in that human person was Christ's potentiality, was spirit potentiality. So I want you to hear that with God, flexibility, but with humanity, a firm insistence that every person you encounter is Christ himself, is the spirit in potentiality, all right? So that's number one. All right, so we're going to take on this whole series. I think Rumi's going to be a part of it, and I'm sure there will be many others from a variety of religious tradition. Today, we're going to talk about Charles and Myrtle Fillmore. There is nothing else to come but the spirit of truth, Charles Fillmore wrote. We do not look for another. We know that the spirit of truth is here. It has always been here, but we have turned our face in another direction. We have looked somewhere else rather than to the spirit of truth. 
The spirit of truth is in the midst of you. It is, in fact, in you. And you will never have peace of mind. You will never have success. You'll never have health. You'll never have anything satisfactory until you demonstrate its presence and power in your life. We are vessels for the spirit of truth. All right. That's the charge. At some point in the late 19th century, around the mid to late 1880s, the Fillmores were doing really well. They had a successful real estate company in Kansas City. They had a silver mine in Colorado. But at some point, all of it dried up. The silver mine kind of failed. Uh, Kansas City went into a little dip around real estate. And they were left with no financial resources whatsoever. They had been in Colorado and Pueblo, and um, they could have come back. Myrtle, in fact, had tuberculosis. And a doctor told her, if you stay in Kansas City, you're not going to be long for this world. You're likely to die. And this was before you, you know, this was before they started Unity. But here's the call. Here's the call of Charles Fillmore. They could have come back to Colorado. It would have made a lot of sense. But one night, Charles Fillmore writes, I had a strange dream. An unseen voice said to me, follow me. Now, if you read any religious literature, the Bible, anything else, you know a good call story has to have the words, follow me, right? And it always is followed by, me? Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you, do you mean uh, Phyllis down the street or Bob next door? Me? Follow me. And Fillmore says, I was led up and down in this dream, hilly streets of Kansas City, and my attention called to localities I was familiar with. The presence, he writes, the presence, capital P, the presence, stopped and said, you'll remember having had a dream some years ago in which you were shown this city and told that you had a work to do here. Now you're being reminded of that dream and also informed that the invisible power that has located you will continue to be with you. Right? Will continue to be with you and aid you in the anointed work. It's all here. Mysticism, mysticism, it always involves a call. Follow me. Follow me. The presence that has called you to this place and this work will not abandon you. Here is the work set before you. Around this time, they attended a lecture by a certain Dr. Weeks who had um, turned them on to this new thinking. All around, there was this new way in spirituality. And they went to this lecture. And as they went to this lecture and heard about this new form of spirituality, Myrtle, Myrtle, um, 
heard this revelation. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. And I do not inherit sickness. It was a revelation. It was an epiphany. It was a transformative moment in her life. I am a child of God and blessings are mine. The healing of Myrtle goes like this. She says, here is the key to my discovery. Life has to be guided by intelligence. How do we communicate intelligence? By thinking and talking. Then it flashed on me. I might talk to the life in every part of my body and have, I, have it do what I want. So she begins to teach her body. She begins to literally talk to her body. I began to tell my liver that it was full of vigor. I told my stomach that it was strong and intelligent. I told my abdomen that it was a thrill with the sweet, pure, wholesome energy of God. (laughs) Do you love that? I told my abdomen that it was a thrill with the sweet, pure, wholesome energy of God. I told my eyes that they were young and clear. Why? Because the, the light of God shone right through them. I love that. And she began to heal. She began to pray in this way, talking to her elbow, talking to her knee, talking to her ankle, talking to her abdomen, talking to her eyes. And she began to heal. And she promised in that moment, there's always got to be a response, right? She promises in that moment to never block the free flow of life through her. How are you, friends, letting the free flow of life go through you in order that you might bless the world? Now, I don't know if Toni Morrison, the... um, the professor at uh, Princeton who wrote the Nobel Literature Prize winning Beloved read about this or not, but there's an amazing echo of this in the novel Beloved. Now we're talking about the 1880s in Kansas City, right? Some very white folks in Kansas City. But in the book Beloved, Toni Morrison talks about a community that's together, that are escaped and ex-slaves, and they follow baby Shugs out to the clearing. And what does baby Shugs holy say to that community? Love your eyes. Love your life-giving private parts. Love your back. Love your neck. She says, out yonder, they don't love you. They'd rather see your parts be pig feed, but you've got to love it. And what does she say? Love your heart. That is the prize. No matter what context you're talking about, freed slaves out in Kentucky or uh, these white suburban folks in Kansas City, doesn't much matter. Mysticism is going to point to the idea that you, yes, you, are a beloved piece of the world that makes the world better because you're a part of it. That you are holy just as you are. Divine. 
Well, so Myrtle got this message in this lecture. I am a child of God, I'm a beloved, and I'm a blessing. Charles was more like some of us who would rather um, think, like, work it through. How is this working, he said. I, I see that she's been healed, but how does this work? So he took, he took all this, and he was turning it around, looking at it, processing, working on it, right? I mean, that's how I do it. My brain sort of goes first, and then my heart follows um, behind. But Charles had to have his own experience. He had to see it for himself, taste it for himself. He had to struggle with it and wrestle with it. All the mystics, most of the mystics, are going to have to have their own experience before they find it trustworthy. Belief comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. This is what Charles did. Set aside a time every day, a definite time, and pray whether you believe it or not. My wife, who's also a minister, says, well, sometimes you just got to fake it till you make it, right? So pray whether you believe it or not. Take a true statement and repeat it over and over. It does not matter that at first you don't believe it to be true. If you persistently affirm truth, even though you do not believe it at first, you will find that your prayers have power. Faith is like a mustard seed, and it will grow. Pray, pray, and keep praying. Fillmore says, the mystics are always going to turn towards the idea of praying, praying, praying. Affirm and affirm once more, your prayers will succeed. Right? He had to turn to source. He wrote, I noticed that all these teachers and writers talked a great deal about God. God being everywhere, God being all-knowing, who is spirit and accessible to everyone. I said to myself, I will go to headquarters. He's always going to headquarters, right? He's always, he loves headquarters. That means, I, I guess, the little silent, thank you part of your head and heart. If I am spirit, and they, this God they talk about so much is spirit, then If I'm spirit, God is spirit, we're going to be able to communicate. If we can't communicate, it's a fraud. He's got to have the experience for himself in order for it to be real. In those early days, he spent hours dispassionately focused on this attempt to get in touch with God. And then he realized he was having vivid dreams. And God was speaking to him in his dreams. He lived for 94 years, and the last 60 years of his life was in constant prayer. His life had one purpose, the unfoldment of his own spiritual qualities, so that he might help others unfold their own. Your life is not about you. You are about life. You are an instance of a universal, eternal pattern. The one life that many called God is living itself in you, through you, as you. You've never been separate from God except in your own mind. Once Charles has this own experience of 
this faith that healed Myrtle, he was off to the races. He was not a halfway sort of person. Once he became convinced that he was on the track of truth, he threw all of his mind and energy into pursuit. In 1889, they had their third child. He was in the midst of a real estate depression in Kansas City. He decided to publish a magazine. He didn't know how to publish a magazine, but he decided to do it anyway. He called it Modern Thought. It went through some, um, some changes one, uh, of name. At one point, he just called it Thought, but that didn't work either. And finally, one night in the spring of 1891, he and Myrtle and a few friends were praying, and in the silence, he heard the name Unity. So that's what it became called. In 1890, Silent Unity was founded. It was first called the Society of Silent Help. Every night at 10 p.m., and then they realized it was kind of late, so they pushed it back to 9 p.m., but at the beginning it was 10. Every night at 10 p.m., a small group led by Myrtle gathered and was given the following statement to reflect upon. Hear these words. They would get this statement. And they would just pray these words. God is all goodness and everywhere present. He is the loving father and I am his child and have all his attributes of life, love, truth, and intelligence. In him is all health, strength, wisdom, and harmony. And as God's child, all these become mine by a recognition of the truth that God is all. The mystics are going to tell you over and over and over again. It's all God. It's all God. So they'd gather. They'd return to the oneness. They'd return to God. They became quiet and meditated on the idea of God until the idea became a living reality in their minds and hearts and they felt God as a loving presence in themselves When they had gained a sense of oneness with God, they affirmed that God's goodness was being brought forth in their minds, bodies, and life. They made these affirmations for one another and for others who asked for special prayers. Pretty soon, at Unity, most people would write into Unity, you know, via letter. But soon, they'd start calling and before World War I, they had begun a round-the-clock television service as a part of the Ministry of Silent Unity at the room at the top of a building that they had expanded to at 9th and Tracy in Kansas City. A lighted window was a symbol of the commitment of unity to keep anyone, anywhere in the light. The light that shines for you, that shines in you, that consumes the darkness and overcomes it. Give light, someone said, and folks will find their way. The whole idea of silent unity is to get, to get people to listen to the still, small voice and know that God will lead them into wisdom, health, and happiness if they spend a few minutes each day in prayer. Behold the tabernacle of God. It is with humanity. And God will dwell with them, and they will be God's people, and God will be with them, and will be their God, and wipe away every tear from their eye. 
this little lighted window at 9th and Tracy was the sign of light. So I ask you, how do you give light? How do you give light? All right, I want to leave you with this idea. In 1892, Charles and Myrtle wrote down a covenant, a dedication. It reads like this. We, Charles Fillmore and Myrtle Fillmore, dedicate ourselves, our time, our money, all we have and all we expect to have to the spirit of truth and through it to silent unity. The spirit of truth comes first and is the vehicle for silent unity. It being understood and agreed that the said spirit of truth shall render unto us an equivalent for this dedication in peace of mind, health of body, wisdom, understanding, love, life, and abundant supply of all things necessary to meet every want without making any of those things the objective of our existence. The objective of existence is the spirit of truth. All the other stuff is secondary and bonus. All right. What does it lead to when you make this kind of covenant, when you make this kind of dedication, where does it lead you? Every person has within them potentialities that they are not typically expressing the potentialities of the Christ. The Fillmores had faith in people. They had faith in them because they saw them as God's people, as God's beloved. They did not see the defects, the shortcomings. They saw the spiritual potentialities. They saw the Christ spirit. Most people lack faith in themselves, they realized. The Fillmores knew this, and they had the gift of instilling in people faith in their own abilities. Fillmore wrote, The most important phase of my experience was the opening of my spiritual nature. I gradually acquired the ability to go into the silence. Every mystic you're going to hear about this year is going to say, I gradually acquired the ability to go into the silence. To go into the silence without falling apart. To go into the silence without the demons coming to eat my face. To go into the silence to confront what I had to confront. And from that source I received unexpected revelation. I took for granted that it was the Spirit. To what are you dedicating your life? And what path Are you taking to get there? The mystics, I think every single one of them, known and unknown, would say that silence is the essential piece to what are you dedicating your life? The mystics are the dreamers, the inventors, the one open to new revelation and new ideas and willing to throw out what what once was definite in order to pursue the spirit of truth. Fillmore wrote in an early book, Beware the circumscribed idea of God. Always provide for an increase in your concept. Don't write down any laws governing your conduct or your religious ideas. Be free to grow and expand. What you think today may not be the measure for your thought tomorrow. So he's going along. Unity is going along. It's expanding, expanding. They build Unity Village. 
And after 30 years of unity existing, finally, after being asked a million times, Fillmore wrote a statement of faith. But then he added this to the end. The addition to the end is as good as the faith statement. We have considered the restrictions that will follow a formulated platform and hereby give warning that we shall not be bound by this tentative statement of what unity believes. We may change our minds tomorrow about some of these points, and if we do, we'll make a new statement. (laughs) Amen? Don't you love it? Keep it open. Keep it open. You never know what new revelation is going to come to you. All right, so here's, here's Jack Kerouac. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs and the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules, and they have no respect for the status quo. You can praise them, disagree with them, quote them, disbelieve them, glorify or vilify them. About the only thing you, can do, you can't do is ignore them. Because they change things, they invent, they imagine, they heal, they explore, they create, they inspire, they push us forward. Maybe they have to be crazy. How else can you stare at an empty canvas and see a work of art? Or sit in silence and hear a song that's never been written? Or gaze at a red planet and see a laboratory on wheels? While some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do so. Change the world, friends. God bless you.